you're always trying to learn from like better players and try to take little things of that they do and make it your own. But like you got to have identity as who you are as a player. This is the Tournament Code. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today. We know where you are right now. You're at Vanderbilt. You're coaching over there. But before we get to that, your pro career, everything like that, let's kind of start at the beginning. How did you get into the game of golf? I grew up playing a ton of sports. My dad was a professional athlete, played in the NFL for uh, 10 years. And so sports are always just so important to our family. And played golf kind of occasionally, you know, kind of for fun, but was a little bit more serious about baseball and basketball. Got burnout, start, started playing golf, was probably about 11. And then I took it, I started taking it serious about 14. So kind of got burnt out on baseball around that age, 13 or 14. And kind of went out to the golf course one day and just kind of fell in love with it. And then, you know, kind of once I made up my mind, I was going to specialize in, in golf at 14. It's really all I did, you know, from 14 to 18. So that's how I got into it. Did you start playing tournaments at that age or is that something you picked up a little later? Yeah, I started playing tournaments probably when I was 14. I mean, I'd, I'd play like the club championship or, you know, something like a, a father-son kind of deal, you know, when I was when I was 11 to 13 or 14, but started playing, you know, on the North Alabama Junior Golf Tour. I grew up in Florence, Alabama, which is, you know, Northwest Alabama. So I played a lot of the North Alabama Junior Golf Tour stuff. And yeah, just kind of got started in that and kind of, you know, kind of went from there to the SJGT, the Southeastern Junior Golf Tour, then went to the AJGA and and then to college golf. When did you realize that you were pretty good at golf? Was it something that came naturally or did you just pick or over time, did you figure it out? Uh, looking back at it, I think I, I thought I was probably a little, I think I thought I was better than I actually was. I got good really quick once I, once I started playing when I was 14. I was, you know, Remember, I remember Jay Sewell had just gotten the Alabama Alabama job, and it was you know I, my my dad played football at Alabama, my mom went to Alabama, my brother went there, sister went there, so it was just in my blood, you know, I was just just dying to go to Alabama. And um, remember, he went and watched me play at like the state like the state high school championship, and he saw my grip, and he just almost immediately walked away. <laughs> and that was probably my sophomore year, and I guess I started getting good kind of at the end of my junior year of high school. I, I started contending at a lot of, you know, junior events like the Southern Junior, you know, the Bubba Conley, ended up winning a, a, a pretty big AJGA at, at the end of that summer. So my, I'd say I was kind of a late bloomer. I wasn't getting a ton of attention from schools, you know, really until then. But, you know, as soon as, as, soon as I kind of started playing well and Jay offered me, it was kind of, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. So being that your dad was a professional athlete in the NFL, how was he able to help you just with like the discipline and work ethic and competitive side of things i think number one he wanted me to just enjoy what i did he, he never he never pressured me to play football he never pressured me to you know do anything sports wise he i think he did a good job of introducing me to every sport and kind of let me pick my own path and but he just wanted me to work hard you know as long as i was having fun and i was working hard at it you know that's all he really cared about those are important things to have when it comes to golf but another thing that's important is skill acquisition and one of the things you mentioned is coach looks at your grip and says hey like this looks a little, this looks a little funky. Did you work with a swing coach while you were in high school or when did, or did you develop a relationship later? What was your path as far as swing coaching? I would say kind of starting out, I was kind of self-taught. I mean, I had a couple lessons, you know, from like the local, like our, like our club pro, 
and, but that, that kind of only got me so far. And then, and then I started working with a guy named Billy Eastup in the Huntsville area. Worked with him probably for about six or nine months. He kind of fixed my grip, kind of got a few things straightened out. And I started working with Stephen Purrier, who I worked with. Like the, I worked with him the remainder of probably, you know, for, for my last two years of high school and then my first two or three years of college. And he was, he, I think he was the guy that kind of got me good. He kind of took what I did well and didn't try to change that, but just kind of like clean some things up. And he actually works with Lee Hodges right now. He's playing on the PGA tour. So he, that's probably his most notable player out there right now, but he was kind of the guy that got me going that, you know, that got me going in the right direction. And you got going the right direction. You go to Alabama. And one of the things we talk about is, you know, high school's good, like playing good in AJGAs is good. But when you get to college, especially playing at Alabama, there's a lot of really good players. What was that transition like for you going from high school to college and playing against that level? When I got to Alabama, we, we weren't very good. The, the year before I got there, they were 98th in the country. And um, people don't realize that. They just think that oh, Alabama wins national championships or whatever, you know. And, you know, so, you know, with that being said, I was able to come in and play right away. And, you know, we made the national championship my, my freshman year at Caves Valley for the first time in 10 years. Finished the year ranking south of the top 25. I played almost every single event. My good was really good, but my bad was really bad too. And I remember just, I remember like the SEC championship, I was either leading or, or tied for the league going to the final round of the SEC championship and shot 78, you know, just things like that. And then my sophomore year was a little bit better. I would say I tightened my game up a little bit and, you know, had several top tens, but, you know, I, I probably had two or three tournaments kind of cost me from being an All American. And then my junior year, everything started kind of clicking and my bad tournaments turned into 25th instead of 50th. Was the first team All SEC selection that year? We had a we had a top five team in the country, and you know we played in the final group of Stanford, Georgia, the final round of the national championship. That was kind of the progression, and then and then I had a decline. You know, my senior year, my senior year, I really struggled, and I was fortunate to play with some guy. I played with Dustin Johnson and Luke List going into that you know that that summer going into my senior year, and I kind of for some reason I got in my head that I needed more speed and it changed my golf swing to play professional golf, and I got so bogged down, just like perfect positions, swing videos, all the things that just don't matter when it comes to putting your peg in the ground and beating people. And we had the number one team in the country that year. And I was in and out of the lineup and eventually got benched for postseason. And that was probably one of the toughest times that I had in the game because, you know, there wasn't a next season. Like, you know, that was kind of it, you know, and all I ever wanted to do was be a professional golfer. and and you know, you know, when I graduate, I wasn't in the right frame of mind to do that. So, you know, you talk about gaining more consistency throughout your career and, you know, turning those 50ths into top 25s. What were some of those steps that you took to gain that consistency? And what were some of the things that just helped you mature in your golf game? I think just an understanding of how to use my strengths when I play. I was never a great driver of the golf ball but I was, I was a really good iron player and a really good putter. If I just got the ball in play and didn't hit foul balls, I was going to play pretty well. So for me, it was hitting a lot more irons off tees. If there's, if, if I saw hazard on a, on, on a hole on the right side and out of bounds on the left side, I probably wouldn't hit driver because, you know, there was no way I can make a committed golf swing. There was a lot of three woods, irons off tees, get the ball in play and kind of go from there. And then, you know, just by your junior year, you've kind of played most of the courses once or twice and you kind of have an understanding of how you need to play it. You know, I think I would just say just not just understanding I didn't have to force driver 
I wouldn't say I was a long player, but I was long enough, you know, but I was probably, you know, giving up some distance to, you know, just to have the ball in play. You mentioned that you got afflicted by having, by feeling like you need to chase speed and not just chase speed, but feeling like you needed to chase positions in your golf swing and getting too technical or overly technical is something that can happen to everybody. When do you feel like you got rid of that or did you ever get rid of that obsession? I definitely got rid of it. I, I think when I was in college, it was kind of right when like, you know, everybody was kind of getting into swing videos and everybody had to look like Tiger. And like, it's it's like every single instructor you'd go to would put Tiger up there. You know, it's just like, I'm not built like Tiger. Like, you're not built like Tiger. So why am I trying to swing like Tiger? I feel like coaching and teaching has gotten so much more individualized now. There, there's not just one model. And I think before I was, when I went out there to practice, I was, I was maybe running through a putting drill or two. I was, I was doing it. I was doing a chipping contest with somebody. I was working on my wedges and then it, and then it kind of got to where I was spending all of my time chasing positions and chasing perfection in a, in a golf swing. And just like, and then I'd get on the golf course and I was, and I was playing golf swing and that's just, you just can't play under, you know, you know, you know, you can't play under the gun that way. And I was doing it basically my entire senior year. That's something I'm sympathetic to because it's something that I've done. I got I stopped playing because I was injured, but also because I sucked because I was doing that exact <laughs> th- that exact same thing. I was trying to get my swing here, try to do this, and it was it's only obviously years of hindsight, a little bit of development of the prefrontal cortex that I realized, you know, maybe maybe I don't need to do that. And now now a lot of what I do and trying to get better is like I'm going to go out there play, figure out how to get the ball around, and be a little more athletic. When it came to wrapping up college, you said you wanted to go pro. You said you were really in the right frame of mind to go pro. What did you do after college? So, you know, like I said, after college, I wasn't in the right frame of mind or physically good enough to turn pro. So I actually stuck around and was a GA for the golf team. And I kind of look back at that time and I was working for two future national coaches of the year, Scott Limbaugh and Jay Sewell. And it was like, man, like, I didn't even realize that, but like how lucky was I to be able to be around those two guys. And so I stuck around for, you know, for an extra year, finished my degree, kind of hung out with the team, just kind of like, you know, kind of got my feet wet as a coach. And then game still kind of wasn't, I, I'd kind of lost my desire during that time, like as a player. And I actually went and did a finance internship for about six months, hated every minute of it. And that's kind of where I got my desire back as a player during that time. And I was, I was fortunate enough to move down to Sea Island, Georgia in March of 2010. And, you know, just, be, just being around, I was around so many world-class players and instructors. It was just, it was just an unbelievable opportunity. I was able to go down there because of my swing instructor at the time, Ty Anderson. I was working with him and it was a, it was a move that he thought I really needed to make if I wanted to really do this and, you know, take it serious. And so glad I did. I didn't have all the success I wanted to as a pro. But I learned so many things along the way. You mentioned earlier, you know, you played with Dustin Johnson, and that's kind of what spurred your thoughts of, you know, I need to gain some speed if I want to play on the PGA Tour. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself in that position? Just be you. Like, don't like, yeah, there's certain things that I needed to do better, but, you know, hitting it further wasn't one of them. And there's, there's tons of guys that, you know, swinging 113, 114 miles an hour that have success on the PGA tour. And, you know, me, me, me trying to swing it like a guy who's six foot four and just crazy athletic is just not, is just not, it's just not the answer, you know? 
there's there's certain things I need to clean up. But you know, I feel like my growth was more, you know, just maturing as a player and and even better understanding of who I am and how I need to play and probably driving the ball a little bit better. And yeah, I mean, I think that was like a really, you know, that was a really tough time, but also a really good lesson that I learned that I actually thought helped me in professional golf. You said Sea Island was a great place to be. We know a lot of the guys that are there. And we've talked with people before, like our buddies are down in Jacksonville a lot right now because they're on the Corn Ferry. So they're all playing together over at Sawgrass. They're all practicing together. I was out there the other week. Really nice spot to get better. And when you're with a group of guys that are really good, it makes it a lot easier to get better to a degree because you're playing against good competition and it at least makes you a little more comfortable. That's oftentimes it can be the case. It also can be the case that when you play against really good guys, you'll get your brains beat in so much that maybe you lose a little confidence. What was it like for you down in St. Simons and what did you learn down there? Man, when I first moved down there, it was it was a smaller, it was a smaller group of guys. It was myself, it was Brian Harmon, Drew Weaver, who was I'm sure you guys know who Drew Weaver is, but he won the he won the British Amateur, played at Virginia Tech. He's I think he's out of the game now, but you know, kind of had a little stint playing on the Corn Ferry Tour and, you know, maybe a few tour events. Lucas Glover was down there, Chris Kirk. That was really about it. Now there's all kinds of people down there. There's probably like 25 pros down there now. So it was it was awesome just being around players like that. It made me better. But also like, you know, having I think going through what I went through in college, it didn't freak me out as much. You know, like playing with guys that are that much better than you. It, it just pushed me to get better in my own way instead of me trying to do things like Brian or trying to do things like Chris Kirk or, you know, kind of whoever. I actually live with Harris English and Hudson Swafford, and those are two guys that just hit it. I mean, they, they've hit it like tour players their entire life. And, like, I didn't feel like I was trying to do things like them. Yeah, you're always trying to learn from, like, better players and try to take little things of, you know, that, that they do and make it your own. But, like, you got to have identity as who you, as who you are as a player. What are some of the things that you learned from other players, and what's something that you think they learned from you? Man, I don't know what they learned from me, but <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe my drive, my work ethic. I would say, I don't know, just, you know, just the guys that I spent kind of the most time around, I would say like Drew Weaver, like he was just like, I feel like he was so efficient in the way he did things. He did, he didn't waste time. I thought he did a good job of kind of always having a plan, you know, when he was practicing, he did a great job of peaking towards tournaments. So like, you know, he would kind of get back from say he's out there for two or three weeks playing at a time, you know, he would kind of get back, work with his coach, kind of do an analysis of kind of how the last two or three tournaments went kind of work on certain things kind of early on and then kind of get into more of like the competitive kind of playing mode closer to those next, you know, two or three tournaments he's going to go out for. So I thought just having some structure like that as a pro, you know, was really good. I thought that was like something I kind of caught on to quick and I thought it really helped me, you know, a lot as a player. So you moved down to Sea Island and, you know, you have some success as a pro. You played on the Nationwide Tour for a season, I believe. Mm-hmm. But at what point did you decide, you know, I want to go full-time into coaching? I felt like when I was a pro down there, I kind of always did just good enough to kind of keep my head afloat. I played for five years. It's like I'd, it's like I'd go get into a nationwide tour event, and I'd, and, I'd, and I'd put too much pressure on myself, probably play around the cut line, so I was just trying to make the cut because I knew if I made a cut, then that would get me in. That would, that would, that would get me in, you know, to the, the next reshuffle or whatever. I always kind of thought, like, I always told myself when I was before I started playing was it, it, 
if there's ever a point where I feel like I wasn't getting better anymore, then that's when I would kind of hang it up. And I felt like I kind of had like a two year period where I was just, where I just wasn't getting better anymore. And, you know, I think a lot of that was kind of, I think a lot of that was probably, you know, more, more stuff off the course and more things that, you know, that I had control over that I wasn't taking care of, but, you know, I still kind of got to that point. And I never really knew that I wanted to coach. Honestly, I, I kind of got some advice from a couple of my good friends down there. Bobby Wyatt, uh, Pat and Kazar both said, I think you'd be a really good coach. And I'm, I actually went into, I actually went into insurance right after I got through playing and, and kind of the same thing I was doing with finance. I was sitting there, I did it for about nine months. And I was like, man, like, like I've got to get back in the game. Like I just, I just miss it so much. And, and I remember talking with JC. Well, I remember talking with Scott Limbaugh, just kind of like what, you know, if they had any advice for me and I remember sitting in the office one day and getting on NCAA clearinghouse and looking and, you know, just, you know, just looking up jobs. And there was three job, there was three job openings and it was uh, the Virginia assistant job, Oregon just won a national championship, their assistant job. And that's a long way. To, yeah. That's a long way for me to go. And then Marquette. And I, I emailed all three of them. And luckily Steve Bailey had me up for an interview and hired me on the spot. And, it was, it, it was a, it was a pretty incredible experience kind of moving to Wisconsin where I didn't know a soul and, you know, you know, kind of get my feet wet as a coach. One of the rules I had when it came to going to law school was it had to be South of the Mason Dixon line because <laughs> I like the weather down here. I like the people down here. Tell us a little bit about just the transition going up there. And then also learning about being a coach for the first time. Cause I know we've had buddies who are coaches and Sometimes it can be a little bit weird going from being, you know, a player, like just a guy to all of a sudden now you got a little bit of authority, got to act a little bit more responsibly, got to follow a few more rules than you used to have to. Tell us a little bit about that whole transition. Yeah, I remember going up there for my interview and it was like it was July or August and in Milwaukee, which is like there's no better place in the world in July or August. It's like, oh, like, oh this place is great, man. It's freaking 75 degrees. Like it's perfect up here. And. I don't, you know, it was like 95 in Alabama and, you know, I wouldn't think, I wouldn't think anything about it. And, and then as soon as October hit, I was like, wow, this is, this is different, you know? <laughs> but I, I would say as a, I would say as a transition. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I think the biggest thing I kind of learned, it kind of took me probably a couple of years to learn this, but just like, I don't have all the answers. And I, you know, I think I thought I did, you know, kind of going into it, like, just cause I have this great golf background and, and I'm, I'm going, I'm going up to, you know, Wisconsin to coach golf and, and, you know, they don't know anything up here or whatever. And like, like, I feel like, I feel like if you're, if you're helping a player or, or when you're coaching a player, like it needs to be, it needs to be their idea. Like they're not going to truly own something unless, unless it's their idea. So like, I think I've had to learn how to, you know, phrase things in a way where it's like they, yeah, I, I might know the answer, but I need to let them come up with it. And yeah, I, I think, I, I think, I think that's been kind of the biggest transition in coaching is just like, you know, just like. I don't have all the answers and you know, sometimes you need to let the player figure it out. It's interesting you say that because I got a little brother that's, you know, he's in high school. He wants to play college golf and I help him a lot whenever I can. And when I first started helping him, I kind of was like, try to tell him like what I know. And I'm like, I know yeah. everything. I'm going to tell you what to do. But like after doing all of these podcast interviews, it's like the more I learn, the less I think I know. And mm -hmm. like I've stopped just telling him what to do and kind of just like saying fewer words and trying to just let him figure it out. Like basically yep. what you said, but you guys ended up winning the Big East championships that year. 
So how were you able to help the team succeed? I think from just like a, a preparation standpoint, I don't think they had much of an idea of kind of what it looks like for a, you know, to prepare for a golf tournament, you know, while we're at home versus, and then also like, like at the actual golf tournament. So I think I helped a lot with just like managing that, helping guys kind of figure out how to get better, you know, cause it is a little bit of a transition up there because you're doing a lot of stuff indoors. So that was kind of new to me. Like we would go into, like we would go into a dome basically and, and hit wedges on a football field. Yeah. You know, have, we have like seven or eight different targets kind of up on the football field. So that was, and then you do a lot of work on track, man, and like doing different things like that, I thought was really helpful. And then just, I don't know, just, just, you know, walking with guys and kind of helping them understand they don't have to be perfect, you know, all the time and just kind of playing to, to and from areas of strength and playing to certain spots. I think that was, think I think that was pretty beneficial for everybody. You said guys didn't necessarily know how to prepare for tournaments. What is the way that you go about preparing for tournaments, at least back then? Just kind of going back to what I was talking about with Drew Weaver, just like how he would kind of, you know, like get back. He might not go play golf like the first day he gets back. He's going to analyze things. He's going to work with his coach. He's going to kind of go through those kind of things. You know, he's going to go through all those things. And then he's going to kind of get back into the trusting, you know, kind of tournament mode. And so I think there's a time and a place to, you know, to, to play, to practice, you know, to work with your teacher, to work on certain, you know, aspects of your game. And I think just, I think just teaching guys how to manage that and, you know, kind of, I, th- I feel like that's how you kind of peak going into golf tournaments. When you got that job, obviously you guys were, well, not obviously, but you guys were part of the coaching staff of the year. That's a pretty nice award to be part of your first year. What was your next move after that? I went to Vanderbilt. So Scott Lamal was the assistant coach at Alabama when I was a player. He had an opening that summer, and luckily I was I was the only guy he interviewed, and it was nice just having that relationship with him. They were, I mean, they were already really good, you know, before I got here, and I mean, it was it was a perfect kind of next step for me, you know, to go work under Coach Limbaugh. So you got a few more years of experience under your belt now. Now you've been at Vanderbilt for. About five, six years, is that about right? Yeah, I'm in my sixth season now. That's that's pretty good. What have you learned now from being six seasons in at Vanderbilt that you didn't know when you were in your first season there at Marquette? I think he's such a good leader and has just built a really special culture here. Yeah, I think I think I've just learned how to lead and just like I I think I've learned how to coach guys differently. You know, everybody's a little bit different. You know, you know. I think some guys you can be really tough on, some guys you kind of can't be as tough on. Some guys want hands-on coaching, some guys don't. I think I've learned how to put everybody in, you know, kind of under the same bucket. There's certain standards of the program that you know that everybody's going to abide by, but as far as coaching and developing players, like that's different for everybody. You know, you don't need to coach everybody the same way. So since coaching at Vanderbilt, you've coached three SEC players of the year. You've coached John Augustine, Theo Humphrey, and Will Gordon. Just talk about, you know, how how they were different and how they were similar to coach. They're all very different players. I only got to coach Theo for a year. I came in his senior year and he was, you know, one of the best players in the country that year. And then Gordo, man, he just, uh, I, I got to coach him for two years and watching his progression. He was, he, he really struggled his sophomore year, the year before I got there, you know, switched equipment, switched, you know, was changing his golf swing, kind of going through a little bit of the same thing that I was kind of going through when I was, you know, at the end of my college career. And, he was kind of starting, he was starting to kind of get it back a little bit his junior year. And it was kind of cool to see his progression. He went from 
not being an All-American to being an, to being an honorable mission All-American to being a first-team All-American his senior year and one of the best players in the country. And, and now, he's, now he's out there playing the PGA Tour and having a ton of success. And then John, John's one of the most talented players I've ever coached. He's, he's just, he's, he's got something mentally that's a little bit different. And he was a, he was a four-time All-American here, a first-team All-American his senior year. And I feel like John kind of got a little bit, he was on pace. He was, his senior year, he was, he was a first-team All-American, obviously got cut short because of COVID. He was about to go play in the Masters, you know, and then, and then COVID hits in March. I feel like he kind of got a little bit, I don't want to say posed or whatever, but like, I mean, it's just, I mean, that was a, that was a tough time for everybody. Right. But like for him, it was like, man, he was on pace. He's probably about to go play on the PGA tour. And then, and then that kind of happens. And then he comes back for a final semester and then, and then, and then turns pro. But man, all those guys are so different. They all have different skill sets, but I think that they all just, as far as what they learned from coach Slumball, they're all just, they all work super hard. They're all bought into the standards of the program. You said that, John had something different about him mentally. And that's something unique because there's some guys who we've talked with that people have said, you know, they got something a little bit different about them or we've noticed, Hey, this guy is a little different. What do you think that mental differences that you've noticed? Like how does it manifest itself? What do you think it comes from all that kind of stuff? He was kind of the guy that kind of just had a chip on his shoulder at all times, you know, just the way he worked, just his drive. I don't think you can really teach that. I think that has to come internally. And I think that was what was so different about him. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of guys that I think there's a lot of guys that kind of really want it, but like, are they, do, are, are they willing to do what it takes to actually get there? You know? And I think that's kind of what separates the elite athlete from, you know, just, a, you know, just a normal college golfer. Yeah. It's, it's easy to get distracted. Nashville's a fun city. I used to live there. I had teammates that, I can remember people that would go to school there and, you know, they'd get there and this probably isn't something that happens as much as Vanderbilt as it happens at other places. But I know other athletes get there like, Hey, like I'm here now I'm at school. Like it's a pretty fun place to be. I'm going to go have some fun and then do some sports on the side. And you can do something like that, but you're not, it's very tough to be an elite athlete when you're having, when you're really doing sports on the side and partying and hanging out full time for a living and, it's, it sounds like that's something that you guys don't really struggle with. And one of the things that to keep you from struggling with that kind of stuff is recruiting. That's a big part of being a college coach. And I can remember we talked with Coach Webb recently over at UT and something that he said he was really good at at USF and going other places was recruiting. How has your approach to recruiting been? What's it been like? And how have you developed as a recruiter? Well, recruiting is a bloodline in your program. and you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough part of the job, but I think that, I think that we've got a track record of finding the right fits here. You know, it's not always the highest ranked player or the best golf swing or, you know, kind of whatever. Like it's, I feel like we've done a good job of finding mature kids who have a desire to be great. And I don't feel like we recruit more than four or five or six players in a class. You know, I think recruiting from that bucket is it, it makes things I feel like you gotta kinda do your homework kind of beforehand going into the summer, you know? And and then especially for us, like I mean, you know, being at an academic school, like if a kid's looking at Alabama and LSU and Vanderbilt, well, well we're probably not gonna win that battle. You know, like I feel like most of the kids are kind of looking at Vanderbilt or looking at North Carolina or Duke or SMU or Stanford, something you know, something like that. So 
So we're, so we're kind of getting, you know, these high kind of academic kids and that, you know, that want to compete for championships. So that's one thing that's tough. I know is balancing school and academics, especially in a place like Vanderbilt. How have you seen students manage that balance? Man, it's tough. I feel like the kids that can manage their time have the most success here. And, you know, it's, it's tough balancing school, social life, golf, practice, working out, you know, kind of whatever it is. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a tough balance. I feel like the guys that are, that, that are kind of mature about managing their time, being on a plan, like those are the guys that have the most success. Now we were talking about recruiting earlier and for you guys to get Gordon Sargent was probably, you know, one of the best gets of, you know, your coaching career. He was one of the top junior players in the country. Now he's the number one amateur in the world, won the NCAA national championship individual title. And now he's getting ready to play in the masters. So what was it like getting him and what is it like coaching him? I'll kind of back up to getting him. So I actually have known his dad, Seth, for probably 20 years now. Seth's a really good amateur player. Gordon's from Birmingham, which is, you know, you know, Coach Lamal's from Childersburg, Alabama. I'm from Florence, Alabama. So we've kind of known who Gordon is for a long time. I played with Gordon when I was a pro. I was a member at Shoal Creek when I was, when I was a player. And you know, was playing with the pro and, and Seth, his dad. He's like, hey, if you don't mind, my son's going to tag along. I was like, I was like, cool, awesome. He's like 12 or 13 years old. And <laughs> I'll never forget, like, like we slept on the first tee. And, like, he had this look in his eye. He's about to beat my ass. I mean, he was like, he, was, he, had, he had this little killer instinct about him. And I was like, wow, it's different, you know? And I mean, I watched him play that whole day. And, and I was just like, man, if that kid decides to take it serious, he's going to be really good. I mean, you, I mean, you just don't know from a 12 or 13 year old if they are or not, you know? And anyway, fast forward, you know, four years later, I'm, I, I'm in my first year at Vanderbilt and I, I go to the Bubba Conley in Memphis and Gordon Sargent's on the T-sheet. And I, and I go watch him. I was like, yep, he's, he's, he's still pretty good. And, yeah, I mean, it was just uh, it was I feel like it was a pretty natural fit for him. All the things he was kind of looking for, we kind of had. It was close to home. He was kind of looking at Stanford. He was looking at Virginia. He's looking at Georgia Tech. He's looking at us. And I felt like he, I think he kind of felt the most comfortable here. And you know, I think he had a lot of, you know, we had recruited a couple juniors that he was pretty good friends with that we had come in the class or two before him, so that was helpful. And you know, he committed to us at the very end of his ninth grade year. And it's crazy. I remember, I remember just kind of going through things and just like, man, we still got three years before that boy gets here. But, uh, you know, recruiting has changed so much now. You can't offer a kid until their junior year. But yeah, he was kind of like the last, that was like the last kind of wave of kids to kind of commit that early. That's incredible. I mean, to get to get a solid talent like that, I mean, solid's an understatement. To get a player like that's a, a boon for the program, as Cooper said, and then to build a team like you guys have is solid just to keep things going. Cause we talk about like how good the perennials are and you guys are one of them, but it can be difficult to keep that going. It's easier for easy for teams to maybe not get apathetic, but maybe to metastasize, maybe get a little stuck for you guys as coaches. What are the things that you're focusing on with your team to say, Hey, like, Let's keep the stand, not just keep the standards high. How do we push the standards higher? How do we keep getting individual success and team success? Just to keep getting better. 
you know, I feel like I don't feel like we have anybody in our program right now that's just like like they're just like I don't think they're okay with where they are. You know, I think everybody is I think everybody has an understanding of kind of what they need to do to get better. And, you know, I think they all have we all have we all have the same goal this year. And, you know, we've won, you know, I mean, I think our goal is goals to be the best team we can be. But, you know, we all know what, you know, kind of comes at the end of May. And I think that's I think that's probably where everybody's focus is, is kind of getting there. But yeah, I just think that I just think that I think the I think the focus is just getting better, you know, and, and how and, and how each individual player needs to do that. So talking about getting better, what is a normal day of work, practice and workouts, practice rounds, all of the above? What does that look like for Vanderbilt men's golf? I would say a typical, you know, a typical week, you know, Monday is always an academic day. So it's going to be a, a, a day that we have off. Guys are going to have afternoon classes kind of a day to kind of get ahead in school a little bit. And then Tuesday is always going to start with the 6 a.m. workout. You know, we kind of go through like a little bit of a start out with like some cardio, getting your body warmed up, kind of go into a little bit of a body activation, a dynamic lift, and always kind of end with, you know, some cardio and some stretching. And then guys are going to be in class from 8 to, you know, kind of 8 to 12, probably or 8 to 11. And then we're going to, you know, go out to the golf course in the afternoon and, you know, kind of where we are on the season, whether it's going to be an on-your-own practice, we're going to do a, team practice or we're going to do a competition practice or a black and gold, you know, kind of competition or, or, or qualifying kind of wherever we are. So, and then, and then Wednesday, you know, Wednesday guys are going to have class and then we're typically going to play, you know, that afternoon, Thursday's going to look just like Tuesday, probably going to practice in the afternoon, Friday and Saturday, we typically play as well. So that's what, and then uh, as far as the practice round goes, I feel like we're pretty detailed in our practice rounds. You know, from figuring out sight lines off the tee, wind directions, figuring out how each individual player needs to use their skill set to play, you know, the golf course. Like I said before, I think it's different for everybody. Uh, you know, everybody's and we've got, you know, we've got seven guys right now that can, you know, you know, if we have seven guys right now that, you know, that, that could be all Americans, you know, this year. And they're all and, and they're all different and play golf courses totally differently. Some guys need to bang drivers as much as possible. Some guys need to play back and just get the ball and play. So. And then just kind of figuring out where, you know, kind of, you know, you know, what pins you can get at, what pins you need to play away from. But I feel like a lot of our work is kind of done in the practice realm. Having a good plan coming to tournaments important. And part of a good plan isn't just a practice round. It's, you know, getting the right sleep, all that kind of stuff. What do you work on with your players to make sure that they're doing the right things going to the tournament and also still getting their school done and still being prepared for the tournament? Yeah, I mean it's not just it's not just coach and I. We have really good leadership on our team. Matthew Riedel, Gordon Sargent, Reed Davenport, Cole Sherwood, those guys are just really good leaders. And you know, it, it's it's not just us holding players accountable. It's I think that's what's so special about our culture is it is it is is that it's player led too. And as as far as as far as, you know, practicing and things like that, I feel like it's very individualized like like right now i'm working a lot with wells williams he's got you know he's got he's been playing he's a freshman didn't play for us in the fall he's played for us every single event this spring and i've walked him every single shot you know he's a phenomenal phenomenal ball striker i mean one of the you know one of the best i've seen he's got really good ball control but his putting and chipping is you know just it's got a lot of room to grow all to say and so we're doing i'm kind of setting up a lot of different you know kind of competitive games for him a lot of speed putting games 
and he likes it. I mean, he, he likes me being around and kind of helping him run through that kind of stuff. You know, Gordon Sargent, I spent a lot of time with him, you know, last year kind of working on like wedge combines and different doing a lot of track man games with him. So it's kind of I feel like I'm tending. I feel like I spend a lot more time with the younger guys, kind of teaching them kind of how to work. And then and then hopefully, you know, by their sophomore, junior, senior year, they kind of figure out how to do it on their own. And then, you know, when we have kind of like a structured team practice, I mean, that's kind of something everybody's going to do. And we, and we do a lot of one on one kind of. You know, kind of a lot of a lot of one-on-one kind of match play stuff. Like we'll set up six chips, six wedge shots and six butts. And Cooper, you and I are going to go one-on-one against each other. And, you know, if you make the, if you make the putt, you're one up. If you, you know, if I hit the chip inside of you, then, then, you know, then we're all square. So we'll kind of go through that. Just, I think anything that's situational and gets guys uncomfortable has been really beneficial for us. When it comes to, your program, you know, we're, we've talked with you off air that, you know, we're big UK basketball fans. And one of the things about UK basketball is you're not just preparing players to play good UK basketball, which is what you want. You also want them to be able to be good pros, good people, etc. As a coach at Vanderbilt, you guys have a lot of guys that have come through, gone on to play and are probably still uh, even more so now going to have guys go on and play at the next level. What do you do as far as a coach to help them be ready for that next step, being out on their own? I just think letting them have ownership of their time management, you know, not like I think it's I feel like the more mature the team is, the the more rope we're going to give them. And, you know, when you're a pro, you, you know, you don't have anybody booking your flights. You don't have anybody booking your hotel rooms. You don't have anybody you know, telling you where you're going to go eat or when you're going to go practice. So. Like I said, it all kind of depends on the maturity of the team, but I feel like right now we've got a very, very seasoned, mature team, and like guys don't really need to be told what to, you know, kind of what to do as far as practice goes. So, try to give them as much kind of time, free time, and and ownership of their games as they need, you know, kind of individual, and then just kind of like like we did a Zoom with Will Gordon a couple weeks ago, and just like let the guys ask him questions and like anything from like you know, what a normal tournament week looks like or what he's doing when he's home or how he's, you know, preparing physically, you know, before a tournament round. Just little things like that, I feel like has really been beneficial to our guys to talk to, you know, kind of other tour players. You know, we've talked a lot about preparation and getting ready for tournaments, but kind of want to switch gears here and talk about reflection. And the reflection process after tournaments is something that I believe is very important so what does that reflection process look for you guys? And like, take, for example, you guys just won the Cabo intercollegiate about a week ago. So how did you guys reflect on that win? And, you know, going forward to prepare for the next event. It's a little bit different for us for that tournament, just because we're on spring break right now and everybody kind of went their separate ways. I actually had to go down to Alabama to pick up my wife and daughter so on thursday so i, I haven't really talked to anybody since you know we kind of you know you know since you know since we got back so we're, we're actually going to reconvene on wednesday afternoon and, and kind of go through some things but coach and i will do individual meetings with each player and all their like all the guys will do stats throughout you know for for all three tournament rounds and we'll kind of go back and kind of just talk about things and we can kind of look back you know at really any shot and, and like like you know, say you know, you know, say it was your second shot on number thirteen, and uh, you know, you lost 
a shot and a half there, strokes gained. Well, we can kind of look back and be like, okay, what was the process like? You know, was it a mental mistake? You know, what was it? Was it an uncommitted target? You know, was it an uncommitted swing? You know, what was it? You know, what caused that shot right there? So I feel like it's kind of cool to kind of go back and look at those things. And then, you know, you know, we're obviously looking at strokes gained putting, looking at strokes gained off the tee, you know, procs from, you know, you know, 75 to 175, you know, things like that. So, you know, I, I think I think in general, I thought our speed putting was not very good last week. I think everybody lost. I think we had weight. We had. We, I think everybody had at least three three putts, which is which is not good enough for us. And I think that's kind of. I think that's going to be an area of focus. You know, kind of going into linger longer next week. A lot of people say when it comes to keeping stats, like the college players included, like sometimes it can be hard to have the discipline to keep stats, et cetera. And sometimes people take a look at stats and say, "Hey, like that's too much information." For you, obviously, it's not too much for you. You guys know how to parse through it. How do you encourage your players to not just keep stats, but work with the stats as a team and try to actually pull information from it that reflects on the tournament? I mean, it's definitely like pulling teeth, trying to get our guys to do, to, to do stats. And 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 look, I don't blame them. I mean, doing stats is not that much fun, <laughs> but I, I think it's a lot more fun to do stats when you play well, right? You know, I mean, like you know, when you know, when you know, when you play good, you can't wait to put it in that sixty-five and see what your stats were, you know. But I feel like our guys are all kind of bought in. I mean, I don't, I don't think that there's, I don't think there's anybody that's on. I'm like, hey, buddy, get your stats done. Come on, like, you know. So I feel like they're all kind of bought in. Some guys are looking at it more than others, you know. But I feel like if it helps everybody one shot, then it's worth it, you know. And helps guys manage their practice time, kind of post tournament, then it's certainly worth it to me. So, but I feel like more importantly, it kind of teaches the player who they are and. Like I'll, like I'll use Cole Sherwood for an example. He was he was a junior first this year, and you know, kind of going into once John Augustine turned pro during during the halfway point of Cole's freshman year, that kind of opened up a spot, and and Cole went and took that spot, and has never left the lineup since. But he was kind of like hitting a lot of three irons off tees and and three woods and all this stuff, and like, dude, he's literally one of the best drivers of the golf ball I've ever coached. And I'm just like Cole, like if you're playing back from where everybody else is you're not getting an advantage like you hit your driver as far and straight as anybody i know so you need to, if there's an opportunity to bang driver you need to do it i, I mean he's he, he ended up being a first team all-american his sophomore year i mean he's played unbelievable since then and i mean he's just his his formula is hitting a lot of drivers and you know when he's got to kind of play back to where everybody else is i mean he's just not gonna he, he's probably gonna struggle you know so 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 if, so if you get that ball in a golf course where you hit a lot of drivers he's he, he's gonna be tough to beat that is awesome. We only have a few more questions for you. We talked a little bit about post-round wrap-up and something that can happen after a round. Winning is fun. You know, it's it's fun for when everyone wins. Everyone likes winning, but sometimes things don't go that way. And when guys shoot 75 or something like that, it's easier easy for guys to, one, feel like they let down the team, two, feel like they let down themselves, and then kind of live in the light of that. And sometimes it can drag down the mood, drag down the team, and people can get inside their own head What's the bus ride or fan ride or anything like that? Like after a tournament when guys don't play as well and how do you try to keep everybody focused and wanting to get better without, without dragging things down? There are certain guys and, and I was certainly one of those players too, but I got real quiet after I played bad, you know? And I mean, that I think that's always going to kind of be the case as long as you're playing college golf, you're going to have some guys that kind of handle it well and it, it doesn't, it doesn't really phase them. But you know, some guys when they play bad, most players when they play bad, they're going to be pretty quiet. But I, I certainly don't think that it gets to a point where it's like affecting anybody else, you know? 
but you know, I mean, I, I think, I think sometimes you just gotta, I think, I think sometimes when you kind of, you know, maybe need to get into a player, you know, you know, coach Limbaugh or, or, or I will do that and, you know, kind of get their, you know, tell them to get their body language right or their self-talk, whatever it is that they're kind of slacking on, you know? That's perfect. I think that really covers what we're looking at just as far as keeping them on track. It sounds like you guys do a great job at that. And then beyond that, are there any sort of mental coaches you guys have worked with at Vanderbilt or had the guys work with? It's all, it's all individualized. Some guys work with uh, mental coaches. Some guys don't, I would say it's maybe we probably have three or four guys that work with a mental coach. Yes and no. I mean, I think it's the thing that's different for everybody. Perfect. Well, we know you got family waiting for you. You got dinner waiting for you. I might have dinner waiting for me at home, hopefully. So we're all in the same boat. Uh, So we'll get to our last question. Last question we ask every guest is the same. If you could go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself just one thing, what would that one thing be? And in the case for you, because you're a coach, also, if you could tell a junior golfer one thing, what would that one thing be? I would probably just say just like that, like just ensure myself that I'm good enough and that, you know, my physical abilities are good enough. Like, yeah, sure. There's certain things I got to get better, but like, I don't need to change who I am. You know, I don't need to change who I am as a player, you know, and I don't need to lose my identity as a player. And I feel like I, I feel like I did do that in college. I kind of like at the end of my college career, I lost my identity as a player. And then I'll, I'll probably say the same thing to a junior golfer. It's just like, you know, I mean, it's like stay true to who you are and don't try to be anybody else. Perfect. Well, if people are looking for you on social media, want to reach out to you, where where can they, following recruiting rules or anything like that, if people are interested in learn more, learning more about you, where can they find you on social media? I think my tag is the same on Twitter and Instagram, but I think it's just underscore G Todd. Perfect. Be sure to give Gator a follow. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please subscribe and leave us a rating. If you're listening to us on YouTube, please like and subscribe. If you're trying to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Tournament Code and on Instagram at The Tournament Code. As always, we appreciate you joining us. We look forward to diving in deeper to what it takes to play elite tournament golf. Yeah.